Life Foreign Correspondent. Yes, well, to Indonesia now, a rebel group have been holding a New Zealand man hostage for a year in Indonesia's Papua region. Now, they've said now that they'll release him, but only with United Nations intervention. The ABC's Indonesia correspondent Bill Bertels is with us again to draw, to look at the case and to preview, of course, uh, a very big event, the forthcoming Indonesian elections, the biggest expression of one-day democracy in the world. Bill, good evening to you. Welcome back to Nightlife. Phil, thank you. Good evening. Uh, who is this New Zealander anyway, and how did he become a hostage? Yeah, Philip Mertens is a relatively young bloke who works as a charter pilot for an Indonesian company. He lives in Indonesia with his wife and kids, so he's been here for quite a few years, a fluent Bahasa Indonesian speaker. And that was the reason why he was flying a small aircraft into this remote highlands area of Papua, the far eastern Indonesian region, which for many decades has had a separatist uh, insurgency going. And so it's an area most people st- steer clear of. Mm. But for work work reasons, uh, he was supposed to just fly in and pick up some workers and fly out of there. But in the few minutes after landing, his plane was ambushed and a group of armed men took him hostage. And 12 months later, uh, he is still in the jungles of the highlands of Papua uh, being held captive by those rebels. Do we have any idea on his well-being? Well, around Christmas time, according to the New Zealand Foreign Minister, he was able to call some family members and tell them that he's alive and well. We've seen images come out uh, which were taken in December where he he says he, he looks relatively well. He, he requested an asthma puff, puffer, an inhaler, but all things considered, he appears to be all right, but the New Zealand government uh, said, obviously, it's been a very long time. He's being held in very rudimentary conditions. So they're very worried and they're very hopeful that he is released immediately. Mm. What, what, what do his kidnappers want? Well, this is the problem, uh, Philip. They've been saying for the past year they'll only release him in exchange for talks on independence for Papua. Mm-hmm. And they uh, see the Indonesian government as a colonial oppressor, so they don't want talks with the Indonesian government. They want the United Nations and other international countries to come in and broker those talks. Uh, The Indonesian government won't have a bar of it, as you can imagine. So for that reason, um, this has been in a bit of a stalemate. Uh, The Indonesian police uh, in Papua have offered a ransom. Uh, They've gone through church groups to try and peacefully persuade the rebels uh, to give Philip Mertens up. But on the flip side, the Indonesian military has launched multiple missions over the past year to try and find him and rescue him using force. Mm. And those have been very bloody. Probably about two dozen people have been killed, both uh, separatist rebels, but also Indonesian soldiers, and, and they haven't found the pilot. So there's, there's been a lot of life lost just trying to find him in the past 12 months. Mm. Talk to me a bit, can you, about about the separatist movement? Who do they represent? Is it a tribally-based thing or what do they want? So it all stems back uh, to... Um, Papua, after, you know, I mean, it was a colonial property and mm. um, once they had their independence, the Indonesians went straight in and basically said it's part of Indonesia 
and held what is widely seen as a shambolic uh, UN-sanctioned vote, supposedly saying that people in Papua wanted to be part of the relatively young Indonesian state. Um, my understanding is uh, most people in Papua uh, don't accept that. But then again, there are a lot of people, of course, who you know do work within the general Indonesian system and society that has been mm-hmm. set up there. So it's been going for decades, and um, clearly the Indonesian government over many decades hasn't been much good at, um, I suppose, responding to the demands. It's probably not just independence, but also the fact that Papua is a relatively poor province. Uh, The infrastructure and facilities are worse than they are over in Java. Uh, and it does have a lot of resources and mines, uh, but it's not the average Papuan who seems to be getting rich off those. No. So there's you know, economic grievances, but at the core of it, uh, many Papuans see Indonesia as a colonial oppressor that for a long time has used military violence to maintain its hold on the, on the region. Mm. Bill Bertels is with us, in, uh, Indonesian correspondent uh, for the ABC. Look, on to events next Wednesday, Bill. Uh, the... Uh, next Wednesday being Valentine's Day, of course. Uh, Indonesia is going to hold elections <laughs> for the president, vice president, and uh, many other things as well. Indonesia is the world's first, third biggest democracy in terms of population. These are the biggest one-day elections in the world. India is bigger, but their elections are held over a number of days. This is the biggest one-day election in the world. What sort of logistics are involved here? Yeah, it's up to 205 million eligible voters going to the polls on one day. Many of the polling stations only seem to be open in the mornings too. They basically close at one o'clock. So it's quite an achievement given that they normally have high turnout rates. Um, They have, uh, I think it's around about 20,000 ballot boxes across the archipelago. Uh, They've been preparing for a couple of years to roll out the logistics and um, it's not the vote itself that people are worried about. You know, in, in the lead-up, we've been talking to various uh, you know, NGOs and sort of advocacy groups that keep a watch on all this. Uh, it's not the process of counting the votes and what have you that people are worried about. Uh, it, it's more the broader process about the sort of uh, general environment and the conditions for Um, democracy in Indonesia that um, people are getting more and more worried about. Yeah. Tell me what's what's at stake here? Who's standing for election and and what's the the likely outcome? So for the presidency, there are three men, um, Prabowo Subianto, who has run now uh, once for vice president, twice for president. He's failed each time. Uh, This is his uh, fourth straight election, and he is the red-hot favourite. He's up against, uh, he's got an incredible backstory, but the Mm. the short version is he uh, born into this sort of, the son of an economic senior minister. He went into the military, head of the special forces, accused of egregious human rights abuses in East Timor and Papua, uh, accused of kidnapping pro-democracy activists in 1998, 13 of those activists were never seen again. Uh, he, you know, when he lost the last two elections, he refused to accept the results. His supporters went on the streets and rioted. I mean, the guy's he's got a backstory. Mm. Uh, he, was, he was married to Sahado's daughter. <laughs> I mean, he really is a character. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, and he's, he's, his brother's a billionaire, uh, the Promoe family, yeah, he's very rich. And he's, he's got a lot going on. He's 72. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had a stroke. Uh, he really, really is a fascinating character. Um, now, he, he's going to win because the polls have him far ahead. Right. Uh, but he's up against two politicians, uh, a, a governor from central Java named Ganjar Pranowo and the former governor of Jakarta, Anis Bezwedin. We don't need to hear too much about them because they're both polling in the low 20s. Prabowo is up near 50%. Right. Uh, and the big question, Phil, is if he can win 50%, then that's pretty much going to be enough for him to win this in one round. But if he can't quite get to 50%, he has to spend another four and a half months campaigning for a runoff, which he really doesn't want to do. Mm. What implications does it have for Australia? Uh, uh, Indonesian attitudes to Australia... Uh, seem a lot more supportive these days. I mean, is that likely to continue if Subianto, if Prabowo is elected? Well, yeah, it actually, it doesn't, um, it probably won't make much difference because his whole platform is continuity. Yeah. Uh, he's actually, even though he, he lost two elections to the current president, Joko Widodo, in this strange twist, uh, Widodo then appointed him to become defence minister uh, a few years ago. And as Defence Minister, Prabowo has been negotiating with Australia's Defence Minister, Richard Miles, for an upgraded defence cooperation deal. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to probably take quite a bit of time, but when uh, Mr Miles was last in Jakarta, he sort of said, look, you know, Prabowo, he always seems to be fairly positive about this and, you know, easy to deal with. So from an Australian perspective, it probably won't make much of a difference. I, I think the, the broader concern is that, Indonesia is a young democracy. Many people here see it as quite a fragile democracy, still finding its feet. And the the big thing that's really uh, frustrated a lot of, uh, not most people, I wouldn't say most people, but, you know, the sort of educated elite, so to speak, (laughs) is is that Prabowo's vice presidential pick is the son of the current president, Joko Widodo's son. Indonesia has a law, you have to be 40 to run for president or vice uh, the son is only 36, mm-hmm. but a court, which was overseen by the president's brother-in-law, approved a loophole so that this 36-year-old son of the president could run for the vice presidency with Prabowo. And people just see things like that as being a bit off. You mm. know, that court is supposed to be because independent. He, because he, here we are set, setting ourselves up for a, uh, a family dynasty. Exactly, and mm. and a court that is supposed to be independent, <laughs> but has the president's brother-in-law, ends up approving this. They then go to the election commission, which is also supposed to be independent. Uh, they just wave it through as well, and so there's this general concern. It's not just about the dynasty, but that all these bodies in Indonesia, which are supposed to be independent, they mm. actually all seem to be very much influenced by the current president. His son is going to be the next vice president, very likely, and you can just sort of see the the roots of this dynasty and this power block forming. Mm. Well, corruption has ruined many nascent democracies. You hope it doesn't in Indonesia. Uh, Look, just before you leave, there's an interesting story about too about uh, another implication for Australia, and that is Australia's nickel mines, because the Indonesians have flooded Mm. the world with cheap nickel. Uh, the nickel price has been falling, yeah. but Indonesia's production has been rising. Uh, and these policies, that's caused a number of nickel mines in Australia to shut down. Um, this policy is going to continue. 
Yeah, I mean, Indonesia has actually been hoping to work with Australia uh, mm. because of Australia's uh, lithium supplies. Um, I mean, Australia has a heck of a lot of nickel too, but the, the Indonesian view that Joko Widodo brought to Australia late last year is they almost want to start something akin to the OECD, sort of like a cartel, mm. where if Australia and Indonesia got together and coordinated on nickel and lithium, uh, they could really you know, control much of the world's electric uh, vehicle battery supply chain or at least the key key ingredients for it, the, the components. But, um, you know, that's a very sort of Indonesian way of looking at it. I think in Australia they just let private mining companies, you know, let the market decide. So, yeah, I think mm. this is going to continue. Um, it's creating jobs. It is boosting the Indonesian economy um, a great deal. That the um, not just not just nickel mining, but also the refining of nickel here. Instead of just putting it on a ship and sending it to China, they're now actually creating jobs by doing the refining process here too. So I don't think they're going to change that anytime soon. It's not good for Australian nickel miners, but uh, it's something they're quite proud of over sure. here. All right, Bill, always great to talk. Um, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate Good. it. Good on you. Bill Birdles. He's a terrific reporter, Bill, isn't he? Fantastic reporter. Um, reporting to us on the Indonesian elections. He's the ABC's Indonesian correspondent. Used to be in China, as, as you know. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.